You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. With home prices on the rise in the U.S. and politics not to everyone's taste, some Americans are looking to buy property overseas. But what should you know before you sign closing documents and wire your funds to another country? I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Our guest today is an expert in global real estate, in acquisitions, development, and project management. Scott Stay is president and CEO of CM&D, with 25 years of experience developing and managing over $23 billion in projects, ranging from hospitality to residential mid-rises, single-family master plan subdivisions, student housing, hotels, commercial, retail, and industrial. He's also the design and construction manager of our project in Costa Rica. So, Scott, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Well, thank you for having me. Certainly excited to be on. I'm happy to have you on, too, because there's a lot of people who would like to diversify. They'd like to own property or invest in property outside of the U.S., but it is a different world. Every country's got different rules, and you're somewhat of an expert on that, I would say, at this point. Thank you for saying that. We certainly have a lot of experience in it. So we've learned through doing a lot of projects in a lot of different continents and countries. And where do you currently have projects going right now? Uh, That's a long answer. Um, (laughs) Outside of the United States, I mean, we we do have a a sizable concentration in Central America or Latin America, countries from Belize, Costa Rica, Panama, a lot of the Caribbean islands, uh, the Bahamas. Then in Asia, uh, we're still very active there in um, Thailand, Bali, uh, India, China, and Malaysia, uh, and Singapore. Okay, that was a big question. You might have the best job (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people always, you know, when I tell them I have to travel to all these beautiful destinations, they they, they look at me like I'm working really hard, but it is work. It's very hard work to be. Uh Uh-huh, sure. No, (laughs) I'm sure it is. Um, Now, I was out uh, surfing the other day, and one of the uh, surf instructors that I know was saying that he was just going to be heading over to Nicaragua because certainly there's turmoil there and possibly that could mean some good deals on real estate. And I thought, oh boy, you know, you better at least do a little research before you do that. He was looking at land because land is cheap, but doesn't know anything about developing land in Nicaragua and certainly during a political, you know, upheaval. So what would you say to him? Well, he certainly picked a highly volatile country. (laughs) Right. We were very familiar with Nicaragua, spent a lot of time in Grenada. It's beautiful, and actually, you know, the people there, are, it's a wonderful culture. But you are correct. From a geopolitical perspective, it's a very dangerous place to be. And so when, you, when you're looking at wanting to invest, especially, you know, purchasing land, possibly developing it, you have to take into consideration what can change in the government, because they can change all the rules on you. And what you want to look at is, What has been the history of how to buy land and how do you hold land and have they ever rapidly changed that that has hurt foreign investors, foreign landowners? And if they haven't before, what are the differences that are going? Um, That would be a place that, you know, we cautiously go into, but we do have clients that own land in Nicaragua. They are slowing down a bit. They're, They're wanting to see and kind of do a wait and see. But then, you know, just to the south of them in Costa Rica is a much more stable government. Uh, and one of the reasons why, you know, that government is relatively stable is because 
It has a true GDP. I mean, it produces, it's got a very robust economy. And so it it just brings a lot of stability. And there's a lot of North Americans and Europeans that already travel there. So the, the government's very good about protecting them, knowing that that's a big part of their economy as far as tourism goes. And you just answered a couple of really big questions because, as you know, and you're involved in our Costa Rica project called RISE, and a lot of people ask, you know, how safe is it to invest in Central America? And it depends, right? It depends. That's the answer. Rich and I also have owned land in Nicaragua, and it didn't go so well because we really didn't understand the climate and what it takes to build. And this was even before the turmoil. You know, it turns out that our land wasn't recorded properly, and it was much more difficult to build, especially since it was near the ocean. There's different rules there. So it sounds like it could be a fantastic time to get a deal in Nicaragua. You just have to know that at any time, there could be a dictator who says, you know what, we're taking your land back. <laughs> we, we, we want it. <laughs> yes, that certainly can happen. You know, the first thing you want to look at is, how can you take ownership? And the two best ways is through fee simple or through a land registry system. And so a land registry is, is the uh, British format, and then fee simple is what, you know, is throughout the United States. And that means your name is on title, and they'll either do a title search or a registry search, and whatever is in there is in there. And if you're able to get title insurance, then that really gives you a lot more certainty. And that way, if there is ever an issue, well, you can go to that policy and be at least reimbursed for the purchase price. So that's really the first one. And the second way you got to look at is how do they treat foreign buyers? There are countries that require a foreign buyer to have a local partner. And, you know, at some part of the ownership, whether it be 1% or a controlling percentage, but then they turn around and give all authority to you but they have to be a part of it. Well, that just adds another layer of risk because you're going to have to trust somebody. And most of the time it ends up being an attorney and there are good attorneys and there are not so good attorneys. And so you just, you have to weigh those risks. And it's always good just to look at it from a historical perspective, you know, over the past few years and over the past few decades, has there been other people that are, you know, foreign buyers that have had problems, or is this something that has been relatively stable? Sure. So what are the main things that you would look for in a development? Let's say you were investing in somebody else's development in another country. Well, you know, if it's a development, so it's a project where you've, you've got some land and you're going to build, you want to look at how you'd be taking ownership, which we've, we've already talked about. But then there's really kind of three big items. And the first one is entitlement approval. And it really is what it says. You're entitled to do something. Uh, It doesn't mean you can go build a building yet. You still got to design it and get, you know, their building department to look at the drawings and make sure that they're in compliance with codes. But it's a matter of, well, let's say you want to build condominiums. Then are you entitled to do that? Where that land sits at this moment in time, does it allow that use for condominiums? And then does it allow for that density? You know, how many condominiums are you going to build? And then based upon that density, what are, you know, the things that you have to provide with those, whether it be parking, whether it be accessibility, whether it be a public road. And so, you know, those entitlements is what allows you to do it. And what we call it is, we also call it a discretionary approval, meaning somebody in that government, whether it be a zoning board, a zoning committee, has the ability to vote on whether you get to do it or not. And they don't have, it's not something that is as of right where they may not like uh, your architect 
they may just think that nothing should ever be built there, and so they're never going to allow it. So you want to make sure that those entitlement approvals are in place. Then that second one is environmental approvals. Especially in Central America, the environment is just one of the most important things. In Costa Rica, it's arguably, but most people consider Costa Rica to be the greatest protectors of the environment. Yes. And it's evident in the approvals that you need. Uh, you know, RISE would be a great example. I mean, they call it the D1 approval, which is their environmental approval. And it takes a very long time, and they may or may not give it to you. And RISE was able to get it because of the developer and the relationship the developer had and just was being a very good steward through the application and was able to get it quicker than most people. Typically, there can take between 12 and 24 months. And for RISE, we're able to get it, I believe, less than 12 months. But you just want to make sure it's there. That, again, is also a discretionary approval, which, you know, in Costa Rica and just about every other country, they're not obligated to give it to you, but you have to have it in order for the development to proceed. And then the third one, which is, you know, in foreign countries, it's a big deal. And it's not as much a big deal in the United States just because of the level of infrastructure that we have, but it's utilities. And it's the accessibility to those utilities. And probably most important is water. There's a water issue in just about every country. And you need to make sure one, is there water available? And the best place is wells. But if you have wells or you have water that's underneath the land that you're going to develop, it doesn't mean you have the rights to access it. So you typically want to ensure, you know, are there wells? Have the wells been tested for two things? The flow test, meaning the amount of water that's most likely below ground, and then the quality of the water. Then do you have the rights to extract that water and use it? And if you don't have wells, then you look at, well, does the municipality have water? Can you access that? And then how much water can the municipality provide for you? And if that's not available, if you're on the ocean, then you look at desalinization. And that's expensive. It's an exhaustive environmental approval process just because you're extracting ocean water and then you're injecting back into it uh, highly salinated or very salty water. But there are modular systems. There are systems that are coming out that don't take near as much energy. So, I mean, we use desalinization on a lot of our projects. And then kind of that fourth one, which really depends upon the location, is rain catchment. So if you're in a very rainy area, you can capture that water. You can bring it into large cisterns, and then you take it through a filtration process to make it potable. But you want to make sure one of them is viable and you have the ability to do it. And the second most important one is electricity. You'd ideally like to be able to connect to the municipality for that, but that tends to be very expensive. There are, the renewable energy is just getting better and better. And you have three options there from photovoltaic, which is solar. Uh, You have wind turbines, and then you also have hydroelectric, so through rivers and streams. And it's a much higher upfront cost, but then it's virtually free after that versus the, the maintaining of it. And And usually you generate more electricity than you need. And so you need to make sure that you can connect to the municipality and sell it back to them or give it to them to be able to get the approval. Or you have to get the battery packs. And that's really where then the expense goes up because that energy has to go somewhere. You know, it's a a zero-sum game. You can't have more energy than what you're using on a line. And that's why breakers get fried and transformers explode. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you got to have a place for it to go. Yep. That's why, you know, Tesla and SolarCity, they're, they're doing great things and they're much smarter people than me on it. But 
we like to, to follow along and use the latest technologies. And then that third one is one that most people don't like to talk about, but you got wastewater. You know, you've got black water and gray water that you got to deal with. And, you know, in any development, your main use is through the buildings, but then you have landscaping. And you like to be able to have a, a wastewater treatment facility that can, uh, at a minimum, treat the gray water where it can be pumped back into the system and utilized for irrigation. But you need to make sure you have land that's available for that, a location that's appropriate, that you're allowed to do that. And if you're not, then can you connect to the municipality's sewer system or their waste treatment system? So those are, on the utility front, those are really the three critical. You may be in a, a country that has accessibility to gas, and that could be liquid natural gas. And it, certainly if they have actual pipelines to it, then that's one of the best you can use for generating both electricity and then also using it alternatively in, in other areas where you would use electricity like cooking and heating. Or in a lot of third world countries, propane is the option. The tough part with propane is you got large propane tanks then and they need to be refilled. So you got to locate them somewhere. But if you're like me, I uh, can't stand cooking on an electric range. So I'll take propane over even electric. <laughs> so that's a that's a long answer for my surfer friend. I'll I'll just give him the link. <laughs> but the bottom line is just buying a piece of land and thinking you're going to build your dream house on it. It may be just that a dream. You don't want your entire uh, retirement fund invested in dirt that can't be developed. Well, I would, and probably one of the shortest answers to say you need to make sure that you build a team of professionals that have done it before and have done it in the country that you want to do. That's really, when you're looking at land, there's most likely a broker involved. There's going to be an attorney involved. But if you're going to build something, now you're bringing into it architects, engineers, contractors, project managers. And as long as you have a team that professional and professional to U.S. and North American standards, and they have that experience, then you should feel comfortable. They should be able to walk you through, provide you every step of the way where the risks are, and you can weigh those options until we can get as deep and detailed as I have, but it's their job to protect you. It's their job to take that vision you have of this beautiful piece of land and what you want to build there to turn it into a reality and protect you throughout that process. But you want those people in place before you close on that land. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You want to have them in place and talk to them before you go non-refundable on that contract to buy that land. Absolutely. So now, were you involved with Rise Costa Rica from the beginning? Uh, we were, yes. And so I assume you were involved in making sure all of those things were in place. And we ended up with hydropower and plenty of water. So are we going to be generating extra electricity? And if so, who's taking it? Well, the beauty about RISE is the municipality runs parallel to the land. And you can connect to both the electricity, so you can connect to the grid, and you can also connect to the water. You know, we'll be connected to the water as a secondary source. We'll be connected to the electricity as a secondary or backup source, but then also we'll be putting that electricity back into the grid. So like Santa Elena is that town. I mean, you know, a good portion of the people that live in that area work at RISE. And so we'll be able to contribute additional electricity to that community. And so from a renewable standpoint, RISE has a ton of positives because you are able to, one, it's got plenty of water. It's one of the rainiest locations in Costa Rica. So your rain catchment, but then, you know, from the rivers that flow through there and, and, and the wells that are there, and then be able to do hydroelectric for generating the electricity, it'll be a very cost-effective, but then just appropriate for the environment. 
Yeah, it's really coming along. I mean, have you worked on a project that is so eco-friendly like that one before? You know, we do have a couple. One of our projects is with Leonardo DiCaprio and and from his foundation, which is 100% focused to the environment. And uh, we started working on that just before we had really started working on Rise. And so it's been very helpful. I mean, the brain trust that the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation has, and then kind of their partnership with Delos, as well as the Living Building Challenge, really has been a huge learning for all of our project managers, because, you know, for them, it's restorative. You know, it's not how do you develop that is less harmful to the environment, but how do we develop that actually creates a net positive or restorative to the environment. And with the direction that RISE is going, what they have is, one, it's just a one-of-a-kind piece of land where it's located and, and just the whole ecosystem around it. And it's kind of one of those where you just don't want to screw it up. And the development team and the vision that they have is to really embrace that and then also bring kind of the health and wellness component with it. And so we, we're challenged on it, for sure. And it's trying to change development from being something bad to something that can actually be good. And it's been an educational process for us in certain areas, but we're also finding that we're educating the locals, the municipalities, because they're just not used to development or developer going to the extreme to protect the environment, going to the extreme to bring something that is authentic to Costa Rica. Like this is most developers were the capitalists and it's about profit. And so they cut corners and, and they'll do things that'll make them more money. Versus here, it's making sure that the project remains financially viable, but then also protecting the environment. Yeah, it's so exciting. Wonderful. And what has your role been with RISE? So construction management and development, we are the ones that get tasked with the overall execution. So we take the vision that RISE has in the development, where it's a program and a schedule and and required economic returns. And then we work in building the design team. And then we are the ones tasked with managing them and making sure that they're meeting the schedule, they're designing to the budget, and they're designing to the vision of the developer. And once we get past that or in certain points, then it's a matter of going to what we call as kind of the bidding and the buyout where we bring on the general contractor. Uh, We work with them in pricing out the drawings that are out there. And then we work with them as they mobilize on the site. We monitor them and make sure that they're building per the drawings. They're building to the level of standards that we want, and they're hitting the schedule. So today on RISE, we've done that, gone through the design side on the residences, on the infrastructure and site work with the roads. And we've got a lot of phase one done uh, with, we call it cut and fill in, in the areas where you're going, where there's steep terrain and doing all the grading getting ready to be able to move forward and on some of the first buildings. And so if you look at kind of our role, it's we're the ones that are tasked with ensuring this gets done. Yeah. And we just had a tour there with about, I don't know, 25 Real Wealth Network members who have invested in the project and they absolutely loved it. They can't wait to go back. And they said the food was like the best thing they've ever had anywhere. So I can't wait to get out there again and try it. Well, I can tell you that on our projects, that is not normal. The food, the, the, the chef that's there, and, and just the overall team. And, and, and that's part of just Costa Rica. It's one of the best cultures. The people, Ticos, are just, I don't know, they'll, they'll take the shirt off your back for you. And, and they're, just, they're just wonderful. And the development team there, I mean, they, they just have, everybody's part of the family. 
you know, what they've been able to do with Kinkara ahead of time of the, the main structures coming and, and what they've been able to do with the restaurants and the tents. And you can see how unique that location is and how just everything grows. And, you know, the first time that I got a tour of the garden, you know, I, I don't know what I eat there. I, you, I can't even describe it. It's the most colorful things. And after they kind of explain it to me, I just eat it because it tastes wonderful. <laughs> and I don't eat any, I, you know, it's the healthiest place I eat. And, and I eat more there than probably anywhere else. They've done an amazing job. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get out there. I was there when they first had the beautiful garden planted and what, uh, 10,000 fruit trees and, you know, really developing the permaculture. And uh, I've told it on past shows that we were there with a friend of mine who had her five or six-year-old son. And he picked up this big thing and, and took a bite out of it thinking it was an apple. And we all just stared at him because we knew it was a cabbage and we couldn't wait to see him spit it out. But he looked at us and he was like, oh, yummy. And he just, he ate the whole cabbage because it tasted so good. Something about that homegrown Costa Rican food. It's, uh, it's amazing. And I agree with you. When Rich and I go to Costa Rica, at least up until Rise was there, we would go to a little town called Estorios Hueste, which is right on the water and all Tico, no, hardly any tourists. And we just love it. We eat at a margarita's house. So she's got a house on the beach and she'll just cook you breakfast, you know, in her backyard with chickens running around. You, you just got fresh eggs from her chickens. And I think it's a, a whopping like $2 for breakfast. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, that is wonderful. That, that, that's the thing about Costa Rica. I mean, you, you mentioned kind of safety and security. You know, one of the best ways I've, I've heard Costa Rica calls it, it's, it's kind of, it's a uh, Central America light in, in that it's, it's so safe. And of course, there's, you know, little petty crimes, but beyond that, it's like everyone's so welcoming and they're happy that you're there and they want to take care of you. And it's a very rich culture as well. And it, it's very unique. And so when you're there, you get a great experience. And, and somehow Rise has been able to capture that. And typically it takes a lot more time. Typically it takes you to get much further down. I mean, you got to get complete and much more stabilized, but the development plan that they put in place has really allowed for that to be infused much earlier on. That's incredible. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge here on The Real Well Show. And I'd love to let our members know more about some of the projects you're doing. So we'll have a link on our website on the blog for this podcast for some of those other projects you've got going. And certainly if anybody is interested in Rise Costa Rica, you can uh, look at potentially buying the homes there by going to risecostarica.com or reaching out to us. And we still are in our capital raise and our investors are making an 18% preferred return as a lender, which is good for your IRAs. So you can check that out at our website at realwealthcrowd.com. That's realwealthcrowd.com. All right. Thanks again, Scott. And I hope to see you in Costa Rica soon. Well, thank you very much, Kathy. Honored to be a part of it. And I'll talk with you soon. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can listen to this and any past episodes at realwealthshow.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye.